Well, good morning, good morning. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor here, and uh, it's great to have you on this beautiful Sunday. We are taking a tiny bit of a break from Mark just this Sunday. We'll be back in Mark next week. We've been in uh, Mark since last September. We're going to take just a one Sunday break here uh, to talk about this thing called Lent, and uh, I will get there eventually, but really we want to let God's Word lead us this morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along or you want to hop on to summitstl.info, there's a sermons card there that has all the information about where we're headed, and some of the information I'll be sharing this morning will be there for you. So uh, I want to read this encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well and his engagement with her and his offer to her. Let's start in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told you guys in the beginning of January, I, I like to set a lot of goals for the year. I have a lot of different goals that I set. I want to share one of them with you now. One of my goals this year was to drink more water. Now, for some of you, this sermon is going to be really hard because I grew up in New York, and in New York on the East Coast, we say water. We don't say water. So I'm sorry that this is going to be a lot of times this morning that I'm going to say the word water, and you're just going to have to deal with it. I, anyway, so I decided I want to drink more water because water's good for you, and I don't drink enough water, and it's a, there's a million reasons why. So my niece got me this awesome jug of water that I carry around. And DJ and Jonathan make fun of me for it because it is a huge, it's 50 ounces. You're supposed to drink, you know, about half your body weight a day. I'm just going for one of these a day. If I can get 50 ounces a day, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. And what it does is all the things that I needed to do. It quenches my thirst. It helps me be satisfied and... It runs through me, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so, question here. We're going to be very metaphorical this morning. What does it take to quench your thirst? 
What does it take to quench your thirst? It's kind of a weird question. I mean, in our lifetime, having water is easy. I mean, none of us have, I would venture to say, ever been in a situation where we thought we could possibly truly die from thirst. I mean, we, we may have been hungry when it was, we thought we might die, but we always had access to water in some way. But if we think of being thirsty like a metaphor, like Jesus in some way is doing here, it does make sense for us. There are things that we have thirsted for that we thought, if we don't get this, I might die. If I don't have this, it would be the death of me. And so I would ask you, what are you thirsty for this morning? I know we're in church, and the answer to that is supposed to be Jesus, but I also know that we're all very much like the woman at the well. And there are other things that we are thirsting for that we think will satisfy our thirst. So I, I would ask you, as we dive through this morning, to answer that question in your own heart and mind, what is that thing that you think can satisfy, that, you, that you're thirsty for? Is it Something that you just wish you had a little bit more of. A relationship, stuff, better health, sex, being known, money. What is it that you think would bring everything you need? That you would die if you didn't have it? Famous man, John D. Rockefeller, lived in the early 1900s. And he was a famous American businessman. And at the peak of his wealth, he's had about 1% of the entire U.S. economy, which is a lot of money. He owned 90% of all the oil and gas industry of his time. And compared to rich guys, Rockefeller makes Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like paupers. The Googles, which is always right, says that in today's dollars, he would be worth 41 billion, that's B with a billion, dollars. And one day, a reporter was interviewing him and asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. That's thirsting. That's looking for something to satisfy what are you thirsting for this morning? Today, as we take a break from Mark to talk about what a season of Lent could mean for us as a church, I'm going to unpack and apply this, the, really the second third of the message this morning, and we'll, we'll really dig into it. But I, but I really want to unpack this powerful interaction that Jesus has with this woman. I want to read it for us just one more time. What he declares in verses 13 and 14 of John chapter 4. He said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Our bodies were made for water. And Jesus is saying, in the same way that your body longs for water to survive, I have the very water that your soul longs for. 
Have you discovered the living water of Jesus? I'd like to unpack what Jesus is saying and help us come to that spring this morning. And we'll do that by being aware of our longings, being aware of the remedy, and being aware of the outcome. The three things that he says in these two verses are longings, the remedy, and the outcome. So let's be aware of our longings. Jesus says, Right there at the very beginning. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. So, so the reason Jesus is inviting her, us, to come to him is because we're thirsty. There, there is a craving in all of us for more than time and space can satisfy. You, you go to this well to drink and it will never totally satisfy you, he's saying. There, there is a thirst in your soul that can't be dealt with by anything you can find in time or space. And and anything you try to drink in time or space to fill that longing will actually only result in you becoming more thirsty. Uh, Think of it like this. If Jesus is saying, if this jug represents your soul and you fill it with any other cause besides the living water that he offers, any other pursuit, any other relationship, any other comfort, anything else but him, if you put that jug of your soul in anything in this jug with anything else and drink out of it, you'll find yourself only becoming more and more thirsty. Maybe you've heard this illustration before, but have, have you ever heard about how dangerous it is to drink salt water? So I found this on the Googles too. Drinking salt water would result in your body getting rid of the excess salt by urinating more water than you actually took in. So instead of quenching your thirst, your body would actually suffer a net loss of water resulting in dehydration and increased thirst. And what Jesus is saying is, if you put anything else in your jug and drink from it, it's just like salt water. That's all it's going to do. It's just going to create dehydration and a longing for it more and more, but it will never ever bring to you the joy and the satisfaction that your heart desperately needs. Now, what's important, I want to talk about this a little bit more in a second here. It's not that salt water is bad. There's nothing wrong with salt water. It's great to go to the beach. It's great to swim in. It's great for building sandcastles and having a little moat around your sandcastle. Salt water is a good thing. But when you use it to satisfy your thirst, it will dehydrate you and kill you, which is exactly what Jesus is saying. When we use the things of this world to fill our jug, they will become for us the very things that will kill us. Are you aware of your longings? Are you aware of the things that make you say, if I don't have this, it would be the death of me? And how when we give in to those things, how it drives us to go back again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And still, even though it never, ever satisfies, we keep drinking. It's through the lens of our longings that it should actually reveal to us, 
Isn't there something more? Isn't there something out there that truly could bring that satisfaction that we need? Well, let's wrestle with what Jesus says is the remedy. Look at what he says in verse 14. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus offers a different answer than anything that has ever been offered. He's offering something that will cause us to never thirst again. And I, th I think we all understand that. We, we're all just like Rockefeller. Whatever it takes Whatever it is that we keep filling our jugs with, we always walk away saying, yeah, but just a little bit more, just one more time. But Jesus is saying, if you fill it with the water that he's offering, that won't happen. This famous philosopher and writer from way back, a priest in the 1200s, Thomas Aquinas. There's a little old English here. I want to read a quote that he gave that's really helpful and unpacks what the remedy is for our thirst and why Jesus can say what he's saying. So hang with me. I put the quote on the screen here, and then we'll explain what he's saying. He says, it's impossible for any created good to constitute man's happiness. For happiness is that perfect good which entirely satisfies one's desire Otherwise, it would not be the ultimate end if something yet remained to be desired. Hence, it is evident that nothing can satisfy man's will except what is universally or completely good. This is to be found not in any creature, but in God alone. So, so basically what he's saying here is he's saying, in, in order for us to be happy, to be truly satisfied, that... that for that desire to be complete, it would have to be a complete fulfillment. That there's only something that is completely good, universally good, ultimately good, will ever be able to completely satisfy our hearts and our desires. And he makes us, he says, therefore, it must be true, it must be evident that the only way that we will ever be satisfied, that our hearts will be truly fulfilled, is if we encounter and meet what is universally, completely, and ultimately good, which is only God himself. The only remedy to our longings is to have everything. Think about that. The remedy to your longings is to have everything. And where can you find everything? In the one who is everything. Remember that, that, that we long for something so, I mean, this is how God designed us, to long for something that's so amazing and so beyond anything that we, when we tried to be fed by these things in the world, we would say, that doesn't do it. And it would awaken in us something that would say, so who or what can? And the answer to that is God himself. And at the end of this interaction, the very end of the interaction, Jesus says, I am he. I am the one who can give you. I am the living water. Now, I want to make a really important point here. Not necessarily a caveat, but something that sometimes gets us off track in this moment. 
It, it, it's important when we start to talk about what Jesus is saying is you will never thirst again. If we have, because often what we can do is we can say, when I have Jesus, then I won't need anything else. And there's an aspect of that is true, but I want to help us think about it differently. So what's happening here is what Jesus is saying is, when you drink from my living water, then the rest of your life will be ordered. So, so I want you to think about it as like a disordered longing versus an ordered longings. So what Jesus is saying is, it's not wrong to want water. In fact, what is, happens at the very beginning of this encounter, Jesus says to the woman, may I have a drink? Why? Because he's probably thirsty. He wants a drink of water. Why? Is water bad? No. And this is oftentimes what happens when we start talking about this concept and being satisfied in Jesus alone is, is we start to think, okay, well, that's it. That's all I need is Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, well, yes and no. That when we fill our jugs with him, when we allow ourselves to drink from the well, from the spring of Jesus, what will happen then is money and sex and relationships and work and the rest, anything that we want to put in life, it, it, we're able to then enjoy and experience them the way God longs for us to, where our heart is first and foremost satisfied in Him, so then the things of this life are ordered and not disordered, so we can enjoy them the way God designed us to, which we see in the garden. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when Adam and Eve are in the garden. What happens when Adam is there by himself? God says, it's not good. Why? Well, shouldn't Adam be satisfied? He is God. And there's something here, what we see, like God is saying, yes, but there's more. I want you to be satisfied in me. Yes, but that then, or you're able to enjoy what I've created and experience life and, and consume and have dominion and lead. And he, so he created Adam and Eve to do what? to enjoy all of the things that God had created, having him as their primary desire, fulfillment of all things. Our longings aren't a bad thing. This is sometimes what happens in this moment. We start to think that they're bad. The, the problem is we apply our longings in the wrong way. We drink from the wrong jug of water to satisfy our longings. And here's what Jesus promises. The outcome of being drinking from his, from him, is verse 14, the end of verse 14. He says, the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. We think about Jesus always intentional with his words. He changes the language here. He asked her for a drink from the well, and he says, what I give will be a spring. Because why? Because wells do what? They dry up. And springs are this never-ending ever picture of flowing forth, and he's saying, when you drink from me, there will be a spring of water that will well up from within you. That, that something will happen that will bring... Peace where there is pain. It will bring a sweetness where there is sourness. It will bring a satisfaction where there is parched dryness. Jesus isn't saying necessarily here that everything all of a sudden is going to be perfect, but he is saying 
you will notice it. You will have moments where you will have a peace and a joy and you won't be able to explain it because Jesus is saying, when you come drink from me, there will be a spring of life that will continually flow forth from you that will lead to welling up to eternal life. And just a quick note here on this. What is eternal life? We often think of it as eternity, which is true. That is one aspect of it. But in John chapter 3, Jesus says you can actually experience eternal life now. And, And what that means is, what he's talking about is eternal life is also a quality of life. It's a quality of life that starts now. A quality of life that has and is not thirsty because that has been quenched by Jesus himself. So the question for us this morning is, would you like to take a drink of that water? Well, how can we drink of this living water? How can we experience it? All right, let's get practical. (laughs) We're going to practice Lent as a church. Have we ever done that before? I don't think so. Not since I've been here. So let's talk very practically about what is Lent. Well, Lent is a practice that the church has done for a long time. Actually, way, way back to the 4th century. It's not just a Catholic thing. And the purpose of Lent is to, it's a time to prepare and focus our hearts towards and for Easter Sunday. So, a couple things to note here. First, there's nothing in the Bible about Lent. So, I want to make this practice something that we're saying, this makes you more spiritual, does something for us that's going to change anything. And I'll get to what specifically Lent does for us. But at the same time, what we're doing during Lent, fasting, praying, self-reflection, engaging with God's Word, those are all things that are very biblical and scriptural. And what we're going to ask in this season is that that we take some time to really, it's not to empty ourselves of things per se, but to really fill, to drink, to come to the never-ending spring of Jesus and have a drink of his living water. It can be, Lent can be, a beautiful and beneficial practice that engages our hearts and lives towards the resurrection. So, A person takes the season up with fasting and prayer to consider what we do in this season is we consider the reality of the curse of sin on our lives. And we engage with our longings that we've disordered. And we take this season to be reminded of the empty tomb. And Len exposes what it can do if we enter in it can expose our disordered longings and awaken our true longings which can be met and fulfilled in Jesus. So what should Lent look like? So it's weird here. The way we think about Lent, Lent starts this Wednesday. It begins on what is called Ash Wednesday. And then it's actually 46 days to Easter. So we talk about Lent being 40 days, but it's 46 days to Easter. Why? Well, the way that we're meant to enter into Lent, I believe, 
and I'm going to ask us to as a church, this is a simple practical application here of how we're going to apply this, is that we're meant to be in this rhythm of fasting and feasting. Fasting and feasting. And so what is fasting? Fasting is not engaging in something, giving up an activity, or we're going to talk about, I'm going to get really practical with you guys, giving something up so that, why? So that we can turn our hearts to, engage with, drink from the water of Jesus. So when we don't just stop drinking coffee for a season and then we, you know, we're all angry and mean all the time, right? We're supposed to be happening when we stop drinking coffee is in those moments where we'd be drinking a cup of coffee, we would actually go to the well of Jesus, the spring of Jesus, and drink from him. We would use that time to, to remind our hearts, this is what we need, this is what we're going to do. So Lent is actually designed to be this rhythm of fasting and feasting. And so what, what it, what, so it's 46 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter. Why? Because you, we're, we're due is every Sunday we feast. So we take a few days to fast. Then we gather together on Sunday morning. We worship together. We hear from God's word together. We engage. We drink from the spring of Jesus together. So we order our longings to Christ And then what do we do? We go home and we break our fast. We enjoy a cup of coffee. Why? Because coffee isn't more than Jesus. I've been satisfied in Christ, so now coffee has its right place in my life. I don't really drink that much coffee. That's why I can use it as an example here. (laughs) You know, it's interesting I was, I was kind of convicted about this in my own way that I teach and think about this. You know, when we talk about fasting, we usually talk about it in this really negative way. Like, oh, i got to give up coffee for 40 days. And, and, okay, well, if that's how you view it, then you are going to complain about it. But if you're saying, I'm giving up coffee, why? Because I know what my heart really needs. It's Jesus. And I'm giving up coffee because I want my heart to long for Jesus way more than it longs for coffee. So can I give up coffee for a season? If it's that hard for me to give up coffee, it must be pretty evident of how disordered my longings truly are. And and so there's kind of this this looking forward to that that, that I'm giving, uh, uh, I'm fasting from this. Why? Because I want my heart to be so immersed. I want to dive deep into the spring of who Jesus is so that I can experience the spring of life coming forth from me. We deny ourselves, which doesn't give us less. We deny ourselves so that we can have more of him. And in the rhythm of fasting and feasting, We long for everything, which is who? Jesus. We find in him that the one who defeated death and conquered sin, it all culminates in that Easter Sunday where we fast on him and we declare to one another, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And so I want to encourage you, again, there's nothing magical about what's going to happen in these next weeks for us as a church, but I want to encourage you to consider joining us on this journey of fasting and feasting and that you would pick something where you would fast for a week, you would come and join us on Sunday morning, we would 
we would worship with all of our hearts, we'd hear from the word of God, we'd pray, we'd go to the table, and we'd remind us, our, we'd say, yeah, Lord, this is what I need. I need to be in your presence. I need to know you. I want to drink from the well. I want to be satisfied in you, and so that everything else can be ordered right, and then I'm going to go home, and I'm going to enjoy a wonderful cup of coffee, or an amazing meal, or whatever that is, and when I'm eating that meal, I'm reminding myself over, whatever it is that I fasted from, I'm going to remind myself over and over and over again that this, the taste of how good this is, really just reminds me of how deep my longing is for Jesus and his resurrection. And it's this continual reminder, yeah, this is good, but it's not as good as what Jesus gives. So you might consider fasting this whole Lenten season from one thing, or you may decide, I want to try several things. And again, the rhythm should be fasting for six days feasting here with the community of Christ and then breaking that fast on Sunday and starting again on Monday. So, super practical. Here's some things you might consider fasting from. Let me give you four categories of things. Physical, edible, tangible, and technological. You may want to try fasting for six days from working out where we think that somehow being super healthy is what I need to be happy. Nothing, remember, again, there's nothing wrong with the longings in these activities. They're good things. But when they get disordered is when it causes us to be drinking salt water. So we may want to fast from working out, from sex, from a pillow. I love this. So we get, you know, we in the West are so comfortable, you know, like we don't have our room just right and our pillows just right, you know. Maybe it's something edible. Maybe you want to fast a meal for one meal a day or from alcohol or from going out to eat or for co- from coffee. And again, re- the, the point of these things isn't to just give them up and then we're like, "Woo! I did it. I made it. I gave it up. It's to give it up so that, why? So that I can drink from the one that will truly satisfy. Maybe it's something tangible like spending money, like shopping. Driving in the left lane. (laughs) Hot showers. And it could be something technological, TV, movies, social media, maybe the radio. I'm going to, I'm setting you up. I'm telling you I'm setting you up right now. I want you to look at that list, and I want you to think to yourself, what is the one thing you would say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not giving that up. Okay, now that you laughed, now look at it again. And I really want you to think, what is the one thing you would say, I don't want to fast from that. could be, I'm not making a definitive statement, it could be that you're looking to that to give you what Jesus alone can give. And maybe in this season, you would consider joining with us and fasting from those things so that our longings might be ordered and we might be reminded that when we drink from those things, we will be thirsty again.
But whoever drinks from the water that is given to us by Jesus, who died and rose again, the promise is you will never be thirsty again. So what's coming up for us in this season it's this, we have several things that we're going to do as a church. We're going to continue back in Mark starting next Sunday, but we have a worship night on February 22nd, be here at 6.30. We're going to launch the season with that, and the way that we're going to start it is we're going to be really thinking about our sin, like how our longings are disordered and coming in, a, in an expression of confession to our God as we worship and engage with his word. Then on Sundays, we're going to think about this fasting and feasting rhythm. And we'll have a moment in our service where we just celebrate that Jesus is alive and that we're looking forward to that celebration where we are reminded and confirming that he is risen. He is risen indeed. On the week of Easter, we're going to have a communion service that we're going to encourage you to get together with friends or your community group or maybe just your family and take communion on Monday, Thursday, the, the night before Jesus dies, to remember what he did and accomplished on the cross. And then we'll have a Good Friday service here on April 7th, where we'll remember how our disordered longings are what sent Jesus to the cross. And then on Easter, this year we're going to have two services. We're going to have an 8.30 service and a 10 o'clock service. And we'll tell you more about that as we get there. You know, uh, are we going to do this every year? I don't know. I know this is a good year to do it. Our hearts, our desire as elders and as a church is, is what? Is it um, to be able to get to the end and say we made it, we practiced Lent? No. <laughs> but I... I, I've always had this conviction uh, about Christmas. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. Uh, as, you know, we, and we celebrate Advent. We spend four or five weeks talking about Jesus and how he came into the world and how he was born. And you know what? It is amazing that all of those things happened and are true and real. And then we're like, all right, let's... One Sunday, let's get our Easter in. And that's maybe a little bit of an over-exaggeration, pastoral hyperbole there, but, but the reality is that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith means nothing. And I feel like it would behoove us and benefit us and be worth it to me to spend the next seven weeks really looking at and preparing my heart for what it means that the resurrection happens so that I could hear and receive what Jesus says is that you will never be thirsty again. Why? Because I defeated sin and I defeated death and now you too can have eternal life. If you'll come drink from this, from me, from who I am, and so to take the next six weeks and say, I, I, I want to turn from this, I want to say, there's nothing wrong inherently with this, but I'm, I'm going to say, not this for a week. Why? Because Jesus, I want to feast on you. 
I want my heart to be satisfied in you, which I know the reason why I can do that is because in seven weeks, I'm going to stand in here and we're going to shout from the rooftops all together that he is risen and he is risen indeed. And if he is risen, then something is worth living for. There must be something in this life that could truly satisfy me. And the invitation to you is, would you come and drink from him? Would you come and drink from what he offers? My friends, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, what are we doing? And so if this morning you came in and you were thirsty and you had gone somewhere last night or this week and you tried to fulfill that longing that was in you, join us on this journey to be reminded, to be encouraged, to be renewed, to be redeemed as we point to the beauty of what the resurrection truly could mean in our lives. Are you thirsty? <laughs> I am. <laughs> and that tasted pretty good. But may my heart and my soul and your heart and your soul Find our true joy and our satisfaction and the quenching of our thirst in the one who said, I am he. Let's pray. Almighty God, uh, we offer up this season to you. Uh, protect us from thinking that there's anything about what we're about to do that makes us any more holy or righteous. We know that it doesn't. In fact, we're asking you to show us really how sinful we are so that it might stir in our hearts the true remedy, which is Jesus. And Father, I pray for Easter morning. I pray that in seven weeks when we gather on that day to remember that Jesus walked from the grave that there would be a resurrection in here of us all. One that would feast like we'd never feasted before. So Father, whatever our longings are now, we confess to you that we've gone to the wrong place to be satisfied. May we now in this moment find our true satisfaction in Jesus and drink from the spring of life that he offers to us. In his name we pray. Amen.